Dr. Jessica Bennett, and this is the Mindful Literacy Podcast. In this podcast, you will hear inspiring interviews with teachers and experts in the field who will give you actionable tips and strategies that you can immediately implement in your teaching practice. In episode four, I interview Diana Pryor. Diana is about to begin her 30th plus year of teaching. Our conversation centered around the topic of an enriched classroom experience, learning experiences within a supportive environment in which students are encouraged to cultivate individual interests, learning through various modalities and develop a toolbox of thoughtful and effective academic, social and emotional strategies. Diana emphasizes the importance of empowering students to develop their personal strengths and letting an experiential mindset foster growth both inside and outside of the classroom. Get ready to get inspired with Diana Pryor. Hi, Diana. Hello, Jessica. How are you? So good to see you. Good to see you too. Thank you so much for coming on to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. I love it. I was just talking to my husband this morning about it. We were talking about um, what what the podcast was and I was explaining the Mindful Literacy Project and it was explaining about how important that was. And we were talking about how that experience is so important to children because Having having an experience in school versus having someone work with you outside in a very calm and different environment supports it in such a beautiful way. So yeah, absolutely love it. And that means so much because this is coming from an experienced classroom teacher. You you're about to start your thirtieth year as an yeah. elementary teacher. Even more because I count those student teaching years and <laughs> all the <laughs> all of it. Yeah, I've been. I graduated from uh, Ohio State in '87, so all that that time. Um, I started as a. I started in an arts impact school, which I loved, and went from. I did student teaching at a very, a very strong inner city arts impact school. It was a great experience. And then did Montessori for a couple of years and then got back into another, um, that was Columbus Pollock as well, and, and did arts impact and then went from that end of the spectrum to a completely different where I was at Columbus Academy. So it was, it gave you, it gave you a very broad scope and then um, into suburbia. So, yep, 30 years of variety. Yeah, for, for sure. That's a really, I think it's a really good lens to come with. And I think that actually, I don't know that I knew that about your history of, of your teaching career, but I met you in suburbia. You were probably the first classroom teacher I remember coming in as an intervention specialist in the middle of the year. And you were just so loving and welcoming to me and, you know, folded me right into your classroom and your students. And I was reflecting on, you know, this interview coming up and I just went to paint this picture of, um, you know, you're going into your 30 plus year of teaching, but girl, you've got energy like it's your fifth. (laughs) And I was saying how, 
you know, sometimes when I come in your classroom, I'll come in to observe a student and take data or work with them or come pick them up to bring them back to the resource room. And I get, you know, the next thing I know, I'm crisscross applesauce on the floor looking up at you going, oh, I didn't know that. That's so fascinating <laughs> because your energy and your engagement and your enthusiasm and just the love that pours out of your shiny eyes to all of your students all of the time is infectious. And I think that's one of the, one of the reasons um, I nominated you for teacher of the year a few years ago was because you just, you to me are this quintessential elementary school teacher and you just keep coming stronger and stronger every year. Well, thank you. That's so nice of you. I really appreciate that. That's, um, that's high, high praise coming from you because I feel the same thing. Every time, whenever I'm talking with somebody, I refer to you a lot because I think that you have a great mindset. And it's like, it, it's a vibe and it's an energy, don't you think? Like where you, you know someone who really has a true passion and love and that is you as well. I mean, it just comes out. And I think you really learn from people like that because you're open and receptive to it, which I think lends itself well to the classroom. So yeah, totally. thank you. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, we were chatting a little bit before this and you were telling me, you know, going into your 30th year, you were devising your professional development plan for your next licensure cycle, which I think is a great, it's a great topic this podcast is geared toward all teachers, but specifically looking at how we can support newer teachers coming into the field as well. So I think it will be really great to hear from an experienced teacher how you're approaching your professional development plan and how you're thinking about your goals and what, you know, what your vision is and how those goals will get you to the next level for your classroom. Yeah, I've gotten to a phrase that I keep, I just keep cycling back to it. It's reimagined creativity through experiential learning. And I think it like, it's a, a few words that captures a ton of thinking. One of my favorite quotes has been experience is the mother of all knowledge. And I, I love that because it's so true. And you have to think about like what kind of mother you want for your knowledge. <laughs> and you, you want the things that we just talked about. You want warm, you want loving, but you also want someone that can really move you along in a creative way. And I love that. And I think my background with Arts Impact has lent itself very well. And I, I see language, I see the creative side of things. And as we were talking about, you're... You, you, when you think about learning, so often people can make it be a very horizontal kind of experience, but really, um, or a very, a ver very vertical experience. And really, I'm looking at the broad scope and making it the horizontal experience where it's richer and deeper. Um, so, what when you think about that in regards to how does ELA being experiential language achievement? It really starts with the experience. And I was thinking about like one experience to share. And this time came, this memory came up from um, when the kids and I were writing poetry. And I, I wanted them to understand like the experience of, for writing. So we took bubbles as our big idea. 
And I gave multiple groups of bubbles and we went out and we uh, blew them around and made them and, and watched them. And then we came back in and we talked about the experience. So everybody shared the experience. There, everybody came. There was, it's really hard to level a playing field for experience because everybody comes in with a different schema. But we were able to share that experience. We were able to talk about it. So we were doing oral storytelling. I was able to stretch the vocabulary because we talked about the experience and what we did. And I'm putting together uh, on the smart board a list of vocabulary and words and catchphrases. And we talked about what, um, what then a poem what style we wanted. So I'm capturing a couple of different moments of teaching points in there very quickly. And then everybody has the ability to write the poem. They're very confident because they have a word bank, they have phrases, they have the experience and that they can do that. We wrote the poem, everybody, um, we, we did kind of a startup together and then everybody wrote their own. And um, afterwards we, people typed their poem, which gave them the technology piece. And then the final thing is we did that arts impact piece that I love so much. They had their printed copy and they took straws and white paint and dipped it and made different um, bubbles around on a piece of paper so that they had the um, artistic piece of it. And it was, that to me was quintessential enriched language experience that's very creative. Um, and it's just like thinking about it in a way that is what are the probable possibilities that you can imagine with stretching it. Uh, I think that is what sticks with you. And finding things that stick are really, really important. It's like finding the main idea of a story. It's the sticking point. What, what, what are you walking away with? So that's kind of the direction that I'm going. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And actually, you know, I w one of my first interviews was with Jim Mahoney, and he brought up the Chinese proverb, I see, I forget, I hear, I remember, I do, I understand. And that's essentially what you're talking about. Yep, exactly. Exactly. It's, um, it, it's making it so that it is a fun activity and enjoyable experience. But yet you walk away, you take, you have something to walk away with something, a new piece of knowledge. And sometimes like it's, I always call things like that, like back pocket strategies or back pocket teaching points or back pocket, like words to use. It's like, you're ready to, you're ready because you have them, you know, it's like in your toolbox. Yeah, totally. And I think this is a good, you know, for parents who are listening and we're at home with our kids so much more and we're, you know, responsible for implementing the lessons that teachers are giving us at home digitally um, to have kind of that big frame of reference, that example of what you're talking about. That's something that parents can do at home with their kids. Oh, absolutely. And that's probably the one thing that if you're if you're thinking about how to stretch that experience at home, that that's it. Your oral storytelling is so important because it just builds confidence as a for a student. Because when they hear the same story over and over again, the day that I was born, the day I learned to ride a bike, you know, it's like when I lost my first tooth, or or even those like really horrible family stories that turn into like the fun moments. Those are the pieces that you remember. 
those the retelling those stories over and over gives you a confidence and an ability to put it into print. That's the beginning of writing is the oral piece of it. So, yes. Yeah. And, you know, you and I have worked with students who have reading disabilities and you are able to reach them in such an amazing way. And I think it's because part of part of what you do is you tap into their ability to tell stories and their creativity. You know, kids who have reading disabilities are very intelligent and have so much creative um, power within them. And you're able to tap right into that. And then I think of you as sneaking in the back door with the literacy piece. (laughs) yeah absolutely yes and sometimes you just have to wait and listen like that's that reflective piece sometimes being the watchful observer and just listening and thinking uh, and about what's happening as someone's reading to you or telling you a story and then you can go back and capture that like little golden nugget that you can take it and run um and sometimes like there, there have been times where students have said or done something where you're thinking, huh, like, where'd that come from? I I remember we were talking about um, years and years ago, and I thought this, we were talking about um, energy sources. And this one little guy raised his hand, and he was definitely kind of an outside-the-box thinker, but he was also someone who kind of liked to push buttons every once in a while. Um, and you just have to kind of figure out, like, where, you know, where that balance is with them. And we, as we were talking about it, he said, um, chicken poop. <laughs> I went, what? But I thought, as opposed to going, now that's not funny, I said, okay, tell me more about that. Oh, my gosh. He told me how scientists were exploring that particular avenue because they felt that the gases and, and that there was, an, uh, there was an energy source within it. And if I, had, if I had just brushed that off and had not said anything, no one, first of all, everyone would have seen him as maybe someone who's silly or you know maybe just kind of uh, taking advantage of the moment. But they, they walked away with thinking he was really brilliant and was taking a piece of information that was a very adult piece of information, putting it right into the conversation, and it really led us into a different path. So sometimes that, that patience is, you know, you just have to kind of stretch and wait and watch. Yeah, patience. And I think, too, for you in my just knowing you as a, as a person, as a teacher, it's, you are so present with everybody that you communicate with. Even in a classroom full of energetic seven-year-olds who are all trying to talk to you all at once, you're, you have the patience of Joe, and you, but you, you know, you are then present. You give, okay, now it's your turn. And you are like actually listening with your whole body. They just want to be heard. They they have so much to say, and as a seven and eight year old, they have a lot that they need to share, and they need you to touch points with them uh, it, to make sure that they're on the right track or that you're. It, and it's also a trust thing. By the time that you're seeing that those mobs of kids coming in, <laughs> like trying to like pull me next, it's because you've developed a trust, which is so key. We've talked briefly about like what are the kind of things that you want uh, first year teachers or, or people early in their teaching career. It is all about trust. 
if they don't trust you and see you for someone who's going to support them in a real way, then they're not going to give 100%. So children really do see that. Um, and yes, you have to like kind of live in that moment with them and, and be willing to be a part of their journey because that's a part of the experience and you want it to be fun. So yeah. <laughs> don't squash when they say chicken poop because there might be a sign. <laughs> oh my gosh. Don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I would say be, be patient and earn their trust. Awesome. So I, you know, I have a question. So I've written a few, you know, professional development plans that then need to get approved and you have to sort of forecast, what are you going to do to meet these goals? And, um, I'm just wondering how you find, so you're writing this plan has say the title of it again. Oh, reimagine creativity through experiential learning. Yeah, that's great. Sounds it, like sounds great like, it sounds like a course you could teach in college. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you going to, so now you have this big idea, you have, you, you essentially write goals for yourself and benchmarks along the way. So how are you planning to, to fill, fulfill your goals and get, and get there? It's going to be a hard one. Um, because right now we're in a place where experiences are so limited. We're in a time period where, it's changed the the playing field. Um, ultimately, in a non-COVID world, I see that I see the classroom looking different. Um, that spaces are there. There are learning centers, and that's not that's not a new thing. But having it be experiential, and that um, that that the the experience can be a, a visual, a tactile, a kinesthetic, and how am I going to set up spaces where children who need time to explore, where can that space be? And that's kind of where I'm working on that. Um, I, I love the idea of building more lessons that have the experiential piece in it when we were just talking about the bubbles. That's like, that was a perfect lesson because it worked out beautifully from start to finish. I would like more of those. But teaching is expected and unexpected experiences. I mean, there's no way to get around that. And you have to figure out how to balance everything so that even, even the unexpected, going back to the little boy and chicken poop, like that was totally, <laughs> that's going to be our theme, right? Um, that little guy gave us the most unexpected experience and we were able to take it and run with it. I want to, I see also technology being a huge piece of that. I'm looking at um, Google Jamboard. Have you, have you used that? No, but I have to say that you teach me all of my new tech stuff, which I think is amazing. Like, you know, I was six in 87. <laughs> so <laughs> I consider you to be my tech teacher. <laughs> well, say it again, Google what? <laughs> Jamboard. Okay. It's kind of like a smart board is what I'm getting. Um, Google Draw is another one. I've been doing a lot of webinars, doing uh, just doing different short, 30 minute vignettes on, um, and they're all, and most of them have been Google, like learning how to use different things. So 
um, yeah, I'll learn, I'll figure them out and I'll show, I'll teach them to you. <laughs> and, and you always do that too. I just, uh, your, 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 um, passion for learning infects adults too. So you'll go and do these webinars and you'll come back and be like, Hey, Jessica, did you know about this? And I'd say no. And then the next thing you know, there's 10 teachers in your classroom after school <laughs> learning your I new know. trick of the trade. I know. Which, like, that's how, that's like how you learn is by sharing. And yes, absolutely. I'm kind of excited about that one. I'm on a, I want to learn more about it. Um, I think it has the, has possibilities because it's, uh, they, they're, um, I think it's the one that you can draw something and it'll capture the image for you and turn it into a picture. So your rough drawing turns into your chicken, uh, rough drawing turns into like a real chicken template. Um, it is, it was, it's, and I've been looking at how to do games, virtual games, do more gaming that way. But going back to the re the creative piece of it, it's I can I think I keep going back to my roots, the integration of arts because there's something for everybody there. Whether it's adding music into the background of um, when we when we start a new lesson, sometimes I will have music that aligns with it. Um, sometimes it's drawing activities. We I was teaching how to take notes, how to find the main idea and the details in our animal study, sharing the planet. Some people finish, some people are so quick and, and able to take that information and put it into a journal while then you have someone who maybe it, it needs more time, but how do you balance it all? I did notes on one side of the screen that we were taking and then on the second part of the screen was how to draw a snake because we were talking about reptiles and it was like piece by piece by piece. So someone could finish the notes and do the art piece of it. Um, and even children who maybe got just enough and needed like that break in between like the creative piece to draw before we move on to the next piece that is a quick brain break. It's kind of like, carefully embedding little things like that that is the direction that I wanted to develop lesson plans like that the goal. I feel like those are things that will translate rather well to a hybrid or a distance learning model because they're things the child's already on the computer they're watching you do it then they can immediately practice themselves they you can be there right there coaching them through so that's pretty cool to think about and I've also been thinking too about um you know, just like having elementary age kids at home myself, you know, what went really well this spring for them? What do I want to see more of that went well? And I think your whole, the whole idea of take, you know, your bubble lesson, that's something I feel like I would want. That's the kind of homes, you know, people are calling this homeschool. Well, you're really the creator of the lessons. If I were to implement your lessons at home, that's the kind of stuff I want to be doing with my kid, not sitting there you know, having them watch a lesson on a screen and then do all, like three hours on a computer. I want to say, okay, Mrs. Pryor, what do I need to do? What are the evidence, what evidence do you need me to collect from them? Okay, we'll go off and play with bubbles for half an hour. That's great. And we'll come back and document the experience. Yeah, maybe that's what we can do together. <laughs> oh, Create lessons that have like, that have that kind of follow through. They're yeah. clean, they're simple but 
very effective. It could last all week. Yeah, I think simplicity will be key here for sure. And then I was thinking too, you know, we talked about just the the gamut of the whole spectrum of the schools and our school system nationwide is the resources are very diverse. And so why not take this opportunity when we're doing distance learning, learning and hybrid learning to pool all of our resources together and have you know, if we have this big picture idea of creativity and lesson plans and a simple science lesson that is um, folds in all of the content, math, literacy, science, we could probably pretty quickly as a collective teaching unit come up with a year's worth of second grade <laughs> lessons. You know, I think that's pretty powerful and a great opportunity. Yes. That, you know, that's kind of what I've tried to do with um, Google Slides is I'm building these, I'm just building banks of lessons and I, they need to be better. Or I, I mean, I feel like I need to organize them in a different way because sometimes you just toss things into, you know, so you don't forget, but they are in the big, and when I look at it, I've already been doing the work of creatively reimagining lessons it's already there. I just need to go back and keep looking and tweaking it and figuring out how to do things like that. And that does make life a little bit easier on the virtual end. If that's the direction that we end up going, it's, it's easy enough that someone can pick it up and make it their own. And I, but I like the idea. Yeah. I like that idea that it's an experience and not just sitting in front of a computer because we kind of feel like that was a lot of what was happening as we were rounding out the year. Yeah, well, and in all fairness, too, we are having to figure out how to do that, you know, on the fly. So I think it's, you know, certainly a huge learning experience for me and how I will approach the practice um, going forward. Um, but I, you know, last spring was really hard for me. And I was, I won't say like, I was really sad. You know, but I think having this time away in the summer to think about, okay, what opportunity, how, what, how can we make this be even better and stronger is giving me a renewed energy. I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I definitely agree with you. It has to be, you know, however we come into school, whatever our entry point is, we've got to figure out how we're going to make it the best way possible because I think the social emotional health of the child has to be first. Academics will, will come with that. But if you don't have those two pieces in place before you dig into the academic piece, it's, it's going to be a real struggle. So they, we got, you got to figure out how you're going to create like a happy and excited child, no matter what the situation is. I mean, it's, that is, that's tricky business. I think that's an amazing North Star to have. And I think there are certainly, that's one I think we should probably figure out how to share as all of the grownups. Like, you know, even, and I'm guilty of this too at home, you know, talking about my, with my husband, like, how are we going? How am I going to be a working mom? Yeah. What are we get? There's like three different versions of, you know, school, which is our childcare. So, you know, I think that's really wise and I'm going to do a better job of having a mindset of, you know, 
talking about that privately with him and not letting the kids overhear that anxiety. And it's really different, but it's going to be their normal. Yes. How can we have that positive, positive light? And there's no way you could know this because I've, you know, been recording interviews for the last couple of days now, but there's this theme in each and every one of them so far. And that is the social emotional well-being comes first. It has Um, to. I think that it's not even for a child. It's a human nature thing. I think about like times that, you know, when you dip emotionally and you're low and you don't, you're, I just feel like everything freezes. And it very, it's like, have you ever had those experiences? Like when you feel overwhelmed and anxious and you're nervous, I literally can feel my brain freeze. And like every time I think about that child who's in a classroom, who's questioning and not sure, and that's how their brain works. It just freezes and it's not uh, open or unlocked enough to take in anything beyond like the foundational kind of like sensory stuff. So it, it's, it, you have to start there. That's, I'm yeah. glad that other people see that too. Yeah. And then the other tie-in, you know, the other tie-in I want to make is you talked about um, you going richer and deeper with your learning targets. And I, I talked with Kelly Young, who's a, a literacy instructor. And she talked about doing that with word study and language study. And, you know, you know, we talked about there's a timeline and to me on our timeline are all of our common core standards that we have to meet. But I love this idea of picking a group of them and going richer and deeper. Yes. I think it's another theme that's important to keep in mind. I do too. I, I, I'd rather do less content but make it more powerful because ultimately do you remember our speaker that came this fall um tim do i have that right uh he was he was talking about how important the experience was and that you can practice rote skills and facts and and which are important but you have to have a really good broad experience because the learning will come with that and that Scientists look at where um, kids who kids who study hard and practice for tests versus kids who have had that rich experience that they're not that far apart in data because you're you're providing something that's really powerful for them. So I think I I we were talking. I think. You and I might have been talking about this. I was listening to a conversation these gentlemen were having about how people spend their money. And a very Midwestern philosophy and mindset is that you maybe you save or you, but you buy big ticket items. And those are the things that you value, whether it's like a really nice car or a really nice piece of technology that you bought, perhaps it's a boat. But a West Coast is more a mindset is more experiential in the sense of it's not that it's not uncommon to spend exorbitant amounts of money on dinners or experiences of things that you do like trips and uh, you know maybe skydiving or anything something along that line and that when you walk away from it you have the the midwestern mindset is you have you still have your tangible item that you that you value and that you love but the west coast is more of it's it's something that's a memory that sticks with you 
And they were talking about how scientists said that people who are healthier and happier are the people that spend their money on experiences, positive experiences. So I think that to me, that I've, I keep coming back to that. Like I want my journey to be rich with experiences and not tangible things. I'm looking for the, the adventure, I guess. I love that metaphor. Yeah. For, for teaching, because we're talking about if you're healthier and happier, that's the social emotional piece, then your brain's available to acquire the content needed. And you come to the table with such a rich schema. So when you're there and ready to learn, you you have so much to draw upon. And that's a confidence piece with so many children too, because they're able to share these experiences that they have and add them in and make the connections in literature. It makes it easier to understand what to be what you're reading when you can make those kind of personal connections. So yes, I agree. Yeah. And you know, based on those personal connections you make, I want to go back to something you said in the beginning, which was how, what an impact you've seen private tutoring make on kids that you've taught throughout the years. Yes. You, um, when I was looking at mindful literacy and the power of being able to work one-on-one with someone and to stretch them and to find a way that makes it so that you're able to really tap into the true, the starting point of where you are and where you need to go, what a difference it makes for a child. They, um, I think they, you're, you're kind of filling in the ladder, so to speak, like uh, uh, Bruner's ladder, you know, a scale of like trying to build things that way. You're building a ladder so that they can reach higher skills. You have to t- start with the foundational things, figure out where the, where the foundation is, and then build up from there so that you are building a, a really strong child across the board. Yeah, and so my hope with this, with Mindful Literacy Columbus, is that we can put one child through year-round tutoring. And what, the way that I've seen this work in a beautiful way is when the classroom teacher and the intervention specialist collaborate with the tutor, because then the tutor can pull in things the classroom teacher is doing, you know, tap into what the intervention specialist is doing. And when all of the adults are working together, that's when you can get really rich and really deep with, with the literacy piece of it. Yes. And you know, that, that, that makes me think of a child that was doing tutoring and, I, we were able to, the tutor and I were able to keep a really strong communication piece. And it was, it was a triangle so that you have the teacher, the tutor, the child, all the pieces fit together. And she was, I was able to say what was working for the student in the classroom so that when she went to the tutor, she was getting supported and she knew that it was a team that was working for her. And she also knew the tutor knew where to tap into the strengths and the direction that we needed to go, um, things that she needed to build. And it really, it was amazing to see how impactful it can be when you work together as a team to share it. It was huge. Yeah, totally. And I'm thinking, I'm even thinking like the example of your energy study, right? So like you may not be able to get into 
you know, things like the morphology of all of the different scientific words, especially, you know, that's not something we're traditionally trained to do as second grade teachers, but that's something the tutor could then take and do really deep, rich, meaningful word study. Um, and then the child comes back to you with the ability to read and spell those words and use them in his or her writing piece based on the experiences that you're giving them. Yes, absolutely. Yes. They were, um, it, I, I loved seeing that kind of growth. It is, that's when we're, I think the joy of what's the joy of teaching. Yes. The growth it's, and I always wanted early on in teaching, I always kind of wanted the quick fix. I wanted that like, Ooh, I can, you know, you know what, that's your problem. I can fix that. Quick fixes, silver bullets aren't really super powerful. They look good early on, but going back to like really looking at what works and what doesn't work, it is a process and you have to kind of figure out what's working, what's not. It's babies in bathwater. You don't throw, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You figure out what works and then you move on from there and you keep building. And I think ultimately it's a balance, which is that yogi piece in us (laughs) that you want so badly. I think finding the balance of of what works too is pretty important. That's the mindful piece. Yes, totally. And I think, you know, it's just so wonderful to have you as a colleague and really a mentor for me to look up to, to, you know, watch you in your classroom, like Mother Hubbard with all of your little, all of your little (laughs) ducks coming up and you're just like so calm and neutral and watching you, how you strike that balance in your personal life. And that's really important. And just seeing how even after 30 years, your passion and your love of your personal learning and the, and the mindfulness you have of, okay, what's next for me? It's really, it's really inspiring. So thank you very much for sharing that with the people listening today. You're welcome. Thank you. I feel like I'm, I never feel like a mentor. That's so funny. I feel like I'm just a part of the team that keeps moving forward and feeding off of other people's energies and ideas. You are, but I think, isn't that like, you know, a real, a real leader is standing there shoulder to shoulder with everyone and we're leaning on you and you may not even know it because your energy that you give back to us is, um, I can't imagine being without it. I, yeah, I, 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 well, I, it's, it's a mutual feeling. I definitely feel like, it's a team effort that you're only as good as your team is. And I feel like we have such a strong team of people who think so similarly. The child is first. The child is the center. Where do we go from there? How is this going to impact us as a school? What, what is it that we can do that's going to better their lives? Because that's the ultimate goal. So, yeah, we're a team. Totally. And we do, I, we work with some of the smartest, kindest, hardworking people that I've ever known. And it does make it much easier when there's a culture of all having a similar goal and that's what's best for this child. You know, that's funny. You remind me of something. So, um, 
one of uh, our fellow, our uh, former colleagues, uh, Nikki, when she came in and we were sitting down, we're doing one of the professional development days and we're kind of hashing through the conversation. And she said, I've never been in a school where everybody is a top-notch teacher. She said, it's, you know, you're, there's, she said, I've been in places where I kind of feel like I'm the person leading the pack or like I know that this other person is here. She said, everybody is really good and knowledgeable here. <laughs> and I thought, ooh, that's really good. And I thought, ooh, that could be tough because the bar just keeps getting, we keep setting the bar higher and higher for ourselves. <laughs> yes, and wouldn't it be great? And I think that's one of my, my hopes and goals for the Mindful Literacy page on Facebook. And right now we're calling it Teacher Tribe. I think we may collectively decide to change that name. But right now on Facebook, Mindful Literacy Teacher Tribe, that's kind of the goal I have for the whole group is how can I personally get better? How can I make my community better? better? And by doing that, the people that I teach will make a better world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it could be Teacher Posse. <laughs> yeah so you know there are so many words we can we can choose from and I want this to be a group decision too yes so I'll put that on the list <laughs> that's, the, that's that's the creative side of me like I'm thinking ooh, a posse coming at you whether you want us or not we're coming to teach you <laughs> and of course I'm on the etymology dictionary finding the root and you know the yeah. history of all this now so yeah and I'm so looking for the rhyme <laughs> I, well, I went with teacher drive because I loved the alliteration. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, I, I mentioned this too, like I'm one sixteenth Cherokee and I never, but I never, I was never part of the tribe. Like it was, I think it would must, the, the, the lineage must have been frowned upon. Like I have a picture of my great grandmother, but that's kind of it. Like nobody kept up with, nobody wanted to be part of the tribe. I did. Nobody asked me as a baby. <laughs> I want to learn about my heritage and my culture. That's so, so funny. My great grandmother had a lot of American Indian and I have worked so hard to dig up, to find out more about it. And it just kind of it's not really recorded anywhere. There's not a lot of information. I think you're right. It was it it just wasn't valued in the same way. And I'm thinking, I think that's so cool. I love that and I want to know more about that. I'm there the uh, American Indian culture has such an amazing perception on and viewpoint on the world. And I think a lot of like my roots come from that. Like stories never end and we all own the world and it's those kind of things that I value. Yeah, same here. I think that's, I, at least when I'm like really feeling connected with the earth and, you know, my passion for <laughs> keeping, sustaining life on our planet, I feel, I feel like in my gut that that is coming from my Native American heritage, but. Yeah, absolutely. And at any rate, I would never want to offend anyone with the name of a group. So it's up for today, but right for right now, you can find us in the teacher tribe on mindful literacy. Yeah, I love and it. Anna's on there. So if you have any questions for her, I'm thinking maybe after these interviews are posted, if people have questions, we can schedule a Facebook live and have people come on and, and ask ask you all of the questions they have and maybe we can start figuring out maybe Diana you can figure out how we can all start pooling our creative resources together on our lessons 
Oh, I know. I love it. You know, the, the school kind of started something similar, where like a resource bank. And when things changed in March, I felt like it didn't get moved forward enough. Um, but I think that's a great, great uh, place to, or a great idea, because putting it someplace in a bank where you can just go and grab it, especially because as we get into Google and you see so many lessons and Pinterest and things like that, it's, you need a bank site to go and like make a deposit or withdrawal of <laughs> some kind. Exactly. We'll have to build a structure. Yeah. Sounds sure. good. And, like, and perhaps this will be the way that education, the playing field gets leveled. You know, there's so much, um, inequity in education and it's been that way it's a systemic problem and maybe this um, pandemic will push us and force us to level the playing field I don't know I'm hopeful I yeah you're absolutely right even out of the worst situation there's always something good to take out of it that you can walk away and go okay if I hadn't been forced to think that way I would have never gotten this thing so I definitely think you're right there's there's got to be something good educationally that we'll pull out of this (laughs) yeah okay well thank you so much for taking the time to speak today I really appreciate it I'm so grateful for you oh grateful for you as well the feeling is mutual so all right thank you bye take care bye-bye If you enjoyed this podcast, please find us on Facebook at Mindful Literacy Practice. Our Facebook page for our nonprofit is at Mindful Literacy Columbus. If you are a parent, I invite you to join our free and private group on Facebook, Mindful Literacy Parent Society. If you are a teacher, I invite you to join our free and private group on Facebook, Mindful Literacy Teacher Tribe. You can also find us on Instagram at Mindful Literacy Practice. Our website is mindfulliteracypractice.org. Make sure to check out our nonprofit tab where we give you all the information you need to find a scholarship, become a tutor, make a donation, or volunteer. Thank you so much for listening with the deepest gratitude.